0: everyone, the Bible reading this morning comes from Galatians, we're going to be reading chapter 5 verses 13 to 26 and then continuing on into chapter 6 verses 1 to 5. The passage is entitled Life by the Spirit you my brothers and sisters were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh rather serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself if you bite and devour each other watch out or you will be destroyed by each other so i say live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And chapter 6, entitled, Doing Good to All. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. Thanks so much, Heidi. Thank you for that, Heidi. All right, I think you got me now. That's sweet. That's good. Well, good morning one and all. It's great to be here. It's great to be back. Uh, For those of you who don't know, I'm Charlie. I am one of the pastors here. I have been on an extended break uh, because of some family issues. Uh, They're unresolved at this stage, so please continue to pray for that. Our plans at the moment are to move both Mum and Winnie to be with us, and uh, that in itself has complications way beyond my ability to cope. So um, just be praying. That'd be great. So we're continuing our series on um, the Holy Spirit and how he manifests himself and what he does for us and today we're going to be specifically focusing on the fruit of the Spirit and and as we approach this subject today I I want you to think about what brought you to church this morning. Why are you actually here? Uh, Are you here to worship God? Are you here to gather with like-minded people because you just love being present with brothers and sisters in Christ and praising Him? Are you here to learn more about Jesus, more about God, more about Holy Spirit through the reading and proclamation of God's Word? Are you here because you love encouraging and strengthening your brothers and sisters in Christ around you and building them up in the faith? Are you here to exercise God-given gifts, talents and abilities uh, that you can use to His glory in this place? Or are you here because you need encouragement? Are you here because you need someone to come alongside you and to pray for you and to build you up and encourage you because it's been a particularly tough period? Maybe you just need someone to notice you. And the question is, is your reason for being here worthy of your call to follow Jesus? Are you bringing honour and glory to his name In being here. You see, generally speaking, the Christian faith has been watered down, and we've made church a social club, somewhere you come just to be with people and just enjoy their presence and company. We have taught our young people to pray, to ask Jesus to come into their heart. And I want to tell you quite clearly, there is nowhere in Scripture that you will find that. Nowhere. And so we have people who base their Christianity on an experience that happened a long, long time ago, a one-off experience where they prayed that prayer. And that's got nothing to do with the Christian faith. What we're called to do Let's take up our cross, deny ourselves and follow him. The Christian faith is all about following him. There is a place and a position where you make that first call, where you decide, yes, I am going to follow Jesus and you acknowledge him as Lord and Saviour. Holy Spirit comes and indwells you. But from every day, from that day forward, you follow him. That is the call of Christianity. And when we pray that prayer, Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. It's an awesome thing. And the passage that we have had read to us today compares and contrasts the two states of humanity. There are only two states of humanity. There are those who live under the principle of the flesh, now they do not belong to Jesus. And there are those who do follow Jesus. Those who operate under the flesh live by their own gifts, their own talents, their own abilities, their own efforts, their own wisdom. And the other life, a life where they follow and live under the principles of Jesus is a life under the power and influence of Holy Spirit who indwells them. And as we continue to follow Jesus, our lives produce the fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit that is not produced by us. It is produced by Holy Spirit in us. And in being fruit, it is something that is clearly observed by others. They will see it. It is evident And if a person is faithfully following Jesus, daily walking with him, there's going to be visible, there's going to be recognizable fruit there. Because the fruit of the Spirit, that fruit, is produced in order to touch the lives of others. Think about the parable of the sower. And we're given all these types of soil and paths and weeds and things that we're told about. And I want to ask you, are you that good soil? Are you the soil that the seed fell upon that found root and grew and you give your life life to Jesus? Because if you're that soil, that soil is to produce fruit that bears a hundredfold, 60-fold, 30-fold. There's no other option. If you're a follower of Christ... You produce fruit. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the power of your word. I want to thank you that it speaks so freely to us, Lord. And and my prayer is just that we have open hearts and minds to hear from you, that you will speak into our lives this morning, that you will challenge us where we need to be challenged. And that we'll honour you by being willing to change, to draw closer to you. So, Lord, do your work this morning, I pray, through power of Holy Spirit. And let us respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus this morning, how you're walking with God. But I know for much of my Christian life, I tried to overcome sin, I tried to deal with things that I felt weren't right and and I dealt with these things that people could see first and foremost and I just failed again and again and again. But I think the message we have before us is greatly encouraging for people who have struggled like that and still encouraging for me in my present state too with the Lord. And and. This principle is clearly evident all throughout Scripture. When we think about the type of life we are called to, we are to not sin, we are to totally obey the Lord, we are to totally honour God. There is only one person who could possibly do that, and that is Jesus Christ himself. No one else could do it. But you know what's really exciting? If we submit our lives to him through the work, ministry, and power of Holy Spirit, Jesus can live his life through us. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's he who does the work through us. It is he who lives in us. It is he that is able to live the life that we need to live. And that's what our faith is all about. But what is it, first and foremost, that we crucify so that we can live for Jesus? And it's our former lives... There's much that could be said about the passage that we've had read and seriously there's possibly six months of preaching there but we don't have time to cover it extensively and I'm going to jump down to verse 19 right from the start but I want you to get into this passage and reread it and just let Holy Spirit speak to you and before verse 19 uh, we have Paul... Indicating that there'll always be a battle between the spiritual and the flesh. It's going to be an ongoing thing. And we have to be equipped and empowered to know how best to fight that fight. And how best to draw closer to God. And so this battle is between the lives that we had before knowing Christ. And the lives that we now have now that we do know him. And it's vital that we choose to constantly follow Jesus. We must get up every morning and make that conscious choice to follow Jesus, to continue to walk with him. Regardless of what happens, regardless of what our circumstances are, regardless of if you've messed up, you can stand up and follow Jesus again. He wants you to do that. And we're told the works of the flesh are evident. I'm not sure about you, But it seems this little bracket that Paul does, what he talks about is quite dark. And I think it's beautiful though because it's so dark that when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it's just so beautiful as well. So this makes me appreciate the life that I have in Christ more and more, what he has granted for me. But the works of flesh, we will see them for what they are. They will become quite evident and clear, not only to us but to those around us. And they'll be seen for what they truly are. And first and foremost, he speaks about these sexual sins, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. God created sex. He created it incredibly good. He created it to be enjoyed. He created it to be between a man and a woman in the sanctity of marriage, full stop. And man has taken it and corrupted it. He's taken something that God designed to be incredibly good Incredibly enjoyable, and they've made us something dirty. Unfortunately, there's some in the church that even agree sex outside of marriage is okay. Just so you know, it ain't. Scripture says otherwise. You won't hear me say anything any other way. Says sexual sins. They're just counter to God, totally against him. Then we have idolatry and sorcery. And Paul is talking about, when he speaks about idolatry, the worship of false gods. And I know when we read through this in scripture, sometimes we think, well, this isn't applicable today. None of us really bow down to false gods. None of us have idols in our houses and things like that. But it's not only speaking about that. It's speaking about anything that takes the rightful place of God. There's things that can creep up and do that quite easily for you. And so anything that you place before God in any situation has become an idol for you. And you need to remove it. It's, it's a dark thing. And the word sorcery here is an interesting word. It's actually translated from a word that we get pharmacy from. And so I'm not sure you would have picked that up just reading the English. And so this is talking about the use of drugs for that euphoric or a spiritual sensation, for that moving away from reality, that break from reality. And We're told not to do it. We're not to use anything that could cause that type of thing to happen. We're to have a sound mind. And then we have a whole list of relational type sins. Amity or hatred, which is animosity towards others, holding grudges, strife, stirring up division amongst people, jealousy, being envious of others, either their success, what they have, who they are. We just want it and uh, that's wrong. There's fits of anger, which are uncontrolled rage. There's rivalries, uh, the striving to advance oneself without care or concern for others. And the list goes on and on and on. They're all self-centered things. They're all things about me and me wanting to get ahead and not caring about about others and then Paul says I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God did you pick up the striking thing here Paul is talking to people he's talked before these are people who are in the church and he's warned them before and he's warning them again now if you keep up the way you're going you are not going to inherit the kingdom of God These people, there's no evidence of substantial change in their lives. There's no evidence that they're actually following Jesus. They do not appear any different to those in the community around them who have nothing to do with Jesus. And Paul's expectations of the Galatians and all the followers of Jesus are that they're going to walk lives that are totally dependent upon Holy Spirit. And don't hear me saying they won't sin. We are going to sin. I wish it was different. But the thing is, when we sin, we're remorseful. We don't want to sin. Our hearts are for God. We just, I don't know, we just have to come back to Him. We have to ask for His forgiveness. This is talking about people who are in habitual, repetitive sins, not wanting to give it up. The hearts of those who follow Christ... want to bring their sinful nature under control they no longer want to do those things that they once took pleasure in or perhaps they thought was their right and so if a confessing Christian has no desire no will to control obvious sin in their lives then the reality of their salvation should be questioned That's not a biblical Christian. And the fruit we're speaking of, which is evidence of the indwelling Holy Spirit, is evident in each and every Christian. In its entirety, it is called fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. It's not like spiritual gifts where we all have something different. Each and every one of these, the fruit that is mentioned, should be clear and evident in our lives in increasing amounts as we continue to follow Jesus so first and foremost some of that fruit is about our relationship with God I've been quite influenced by some definitions that Timothy Kelly uses when he speaks about um, the fruit of the spirit and you'll possibly hear a bit of that coming through in this and um, but we'll move on anyway I just love some of his interpretations of things and so when we talk about fruit of the spirit our relationship with God may be a funny place to start but they can be broken the fruit of the spirit when we look at it can be broken down into three categories and so the first one is our relationship with God and of course that fruit is love joy and peace and the love spoken about here I had a bit of fun in the morning service mentioning that this is agape love pastor Darrell hates us mentioning Greek from the front so I did it just to annoy him No, that's not true. There was another reason as well. But but the agape love, this is very significant, very important that we understand what this love is. And we'll get to it in a moment. Because all the fruit of the Spirit, all of our serving, all we do from the point of knowing Christ until we die and stand in his presence in glory are of no value whatsoever if we do not love. Agape love, that love. This is very clear when we look at 1 Corinthians and the passage that is contained there. And so when you think about this person, you know, he speaks in the tongues of men and angels. Uh, he's, He's got prophetic powers. He understands mysteries. He's got incredible knowledge. He has faith to move mountains. If this guy was in our church up the front, I mean, I'd be pretty impressed that he could do that, right? But there's a part of this that says constantly, but if he has all of that and does not have love... He has nothing. He has nothing. And in fact, that chapter finishes with, now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Agape love. Why is this love the greatest of all loves? And this agape love, this this is the highest form of love that there is. It's a love that sees something infinitely valuable in its object. It's a love that comes first from God because it's the love he expressed to us. When I became a Christian, there was nothing to love, trust me. I had nothing to offer God. I had nothing of any value that could sway him to choose me. But that's the love he had. He loved me without an expectation of return. And he loved me long before I made a commitment to him. He sent Jesus to die on a cross, not just for me, but for each and every one of us. Not when we'd done something good, not when we turned back to him, but when we were at our worst, when we had nothing to offer. He looked upon us and he saw in you something of infinite value and he wanted you with him. It's incredible. It's enough that he died for us. And he still loves me the same way. He loves me regardless of what I do and he loves me without an expectation of return. Is that what you experience when you gave your life to Christ? Have you given your life to Christ? Because if that is true for you, how can we testify or or speak about that love of God so graphically expressed on the cross? How can we speak about that and speak about how it's impacted our life in such a transforming way and yet not love others the same? love we're talking about is an act of will. It's a choice. You don't expect anything in return. You don't expect that person to love you first. It's a love that allows you to love people you don't even know. And it doesn't come from ourselves. It's God's will. And so when we submit to him, Holy Spirit, through us, is able to love like this. I would never love like this without Jesus. No way known to man. But now I'm submitted to God. I can. And hopefully that's an increasing value. We are to love others for their good, for their well-being, not what they can bring to me. We love them in a way that is otherworldly in order to bring them to Jesus. This love is an eternal thing. Love first and then joy. Joy isn't happiness. Happiness is dependent upon my circumstances, what is going upon, around, going on around me at the time. I can be happy because of circumstances, I can be sad because of circumstances, but our joy never changes. Our joy remains constant and true. It is a delight in God and his salvation. It's a delight in the sheer beauty of who God is and what he's done. And he is so worthy of that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God, I'm good glad you're with me and I think John expresses this well John John says that which we have seen talking about Jesus and heard we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete why is his joy complete in writing to these other guys because he loves talking about Jesus he loves talking about the transforming power that can be found in him he loves encouraging other people to find out about Jesus for themselves and he's ultimate aim and goal is to see those people come into the kingdom and to live for Jesus just as he is living for Jesus have you had that moment where you have been in the presence of someone and seen them giving their life to Jesus one person's nodding their head (laughs) there is no greater joy no greater joy than to see someone give their life to Christ and and I just I love it I've been particularly blessed to see it happen many times I just love it. And that there's only one thing or a few other things that I really love as well. I love sitting with someone and talking to them about the things of Christ. And They may be wrestling with issues in their lives. They may be wrestling with a passage of scripture and you're explaining them. And you know, we don't always get it right. and We're stumbling to find a way to convince you about how you should interact with this. And suddenly there's this light bulb moment and they get it. Have you had that experience too? I just love that. I love when people engage with Jesus. And there's another one I love too. I love it when people get baptised. I love it. Because they're obeying Christ. You believe, you get baptised. It's a step of obedience. And there's a girl sitting here, when she told me she's going to be baptised, I screamed my head off. I don't scream often. I screamed that day. There's another girl sitting here. I almost crushed her and I didn't even know her at the time because she told me she'd been baptised. I was like, oh, sorry, shouldn't do that. I just love it when people say they're going to get baptised. And all these things that I love, they're, they're things related to Jesus, related to growing faith, related to eternity. They're things that count. They're things that matter. And that's the joy that is being spoken of. It's a joy in who he is and the work he's doing and a confidence That he is present constantly with us. Next comes peace. Love, joy, peace. Peace is a confidence and rest in the wisdom and the sovereignty of God, more than my own wisdom and strength. I wish I could say this is constant, but it's not. There's so many things going on at the moment for us. I've got no idea how it's going to work. I just. And I get anxious, I get worried. I get stressed and that's when I'm not thinking straight because when I'm thinking straight, I come to pray. And when I pray, it doesn't go away automatically but I'm reminded he's in control. This didn't slip past him. And i I got no idea how this is going to work out. That's my wisdom. I've got no idea how we're going to accommodate what we need to accommodate. But again, that's my wisdom. And I'm able to rest in the fact of who he is, what he can do. And he can do great and mighty things. And he has never failed me. There's times I think he turns up almost too late. But it never is. He is in control of all things. And I can be comfortable and confident in that. He has never, ever drop the ball we move from our relationship with God to our relationship with others man wouldn't it be great if when we became Christians we just loved God and focused on him and everything like that we didn't have to deal with people amen yeah I'm hearing you I'm pastor (laughs) but that's not the way faith works part of the fruit is to bring others into the kingdom we've got to work with people And you've heard me say it before, some of you people are real freaks. I'm one of them. But it's us who can reach the other freaks, amen? And we need each and every person here. I want you to think about that fertile soil. There's an expectation that we will be involved in bringing a return to Christ, in bringing others into the kingdom. And in order to do that, we must work with people. And so the first attribute goes right to the heart, as far as I'm concerned, patience. The word translated patience here is actually... That word that is also translated, long-suffering. No amens. (laughs) In reality, this is the ability to take trouble from others without blowing a fuse. It means to suffer joyfully. It, It speaks into that quality that we have all seen and valued in others, where they've got this incredibly calm disposition, this tranquil frame of mind when someone is deliberately provoking them or poking them or treating them poorly or being unjust and we look upon those people and go, how do they do that think about Joseph I mean, my goodness, this guy, God promises that he's going to become a ruler of people and then he gets sold into slavery. Then he gets thrown in jail. Then he's wrongly accused. Then he's forgotten. And all this stuff is going terribly bad. And man, if anyone had a right to say, what the heck is going on, God? I think it'd be Joseph. And he just kept going. He was patient. Because he had great confidence in who God was and that God's word would never fail. This ain't the way things are. I do things, God, but okay, maybe tomorrow. It worked out for him, didn't it? And even in our trials and struggles, when we look back, when we come through them, even though we thought God was not present, you can see his thumbprints all over everything if you're willing to look. Kindness, or some translations, have gentleness in this spot this is referring to practical acts of kindness without an expectation of return it comes from our security in our relationship with Christ if we're called to do something we don't think that it's going to be a bad thing we just go ahead and do it I want you to think about when Jesus came when he came to this earth there weren't great institutions like hospitals or mental institutions or facilities that cared for the poor Uh, and There was nowhere for orphans to go either. And yet when Jesus encountered these people, he was always kind to them. Is that true for us today? Do we treat poor people well? Do we treat drunkards well? This is a call to genuine love. This is a call of genuine concern and care for those around us love your neighbor this is what it's about it may be a small act of kindness giving someone a hot cup of soup a hot cup of something on a cold day it may be something much bigger where you're called to sacrifice greatly but again we interact with people the way that Jesus did we're following him Have you been with someone who actually does stuff and then you help them do that stuff because that's what they're doing? That's what it's like following Jesus. He does all this. And he just says, hey, come with me. This is what we're doing today. And we should do it. We should be like him. We should show people him. John Wesley is attributed to have said, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. I think it's good. You won't get that, but I think it's good. Look it up. And uh, I I think that should be a mantra for us. We're just going to do good. Someone kick you in the face, do them good. Buy them a new pair of boots. (laughs) Maybe not. But you know what I mean. Let's just be doing good for people. We come to the last set, the last one in the set, which is goodness. This is about honesty and transparency. This is about being who you are in each and every situation, when people see you and when they don't see you. Billy Graham has said that when you read good in Scripture, it means to be like God. And so he doesn't see this as just a high ethical standard. He sees this as love in action, agape. It is about doing good without the need for acknowledgement or recognition or return. It's about honouring God. The final bracket in the fruit of the Spirit is our development as followers of Christ. We've seen the first three qualities of the fruit of the Spirit do with our relationship with God, the next three do with our relationship with others, and these final three are the qualities about us, our inner character, and address the transformation of our will that should be occurring. So faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And faithfulness here may not be what you think. The word translated faithfulness here is also translated fidelity in Titus 2.10. So the faithfulness spoken of is about loyalty, about courage, it's about being committed, it's about being utterly reliable, true to one's word. Think about that when you say you're a follower of Jesus. It's an outworking of the knowledge that God sees all we do, all we say, all we think. He knows our hearts and our motives. And a person who lives with this faithfulness is clearly seen as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about Stephen, that deacon in the scriptures. People looked upon him and swore that he had the face of an angel. That's Christ being reflected to the world, wasn't it? He just lived so much for him. The second is gentleness or meekness or humility, if you like. This is this growing attitude of self-forgetfulness. Now, don't hear me saying that you should stop eating, you should stop drinking because you should give all that to someone else. This isn't about beating yourself up. You still care for yourself. But it's about thinking less of yourself and more of others. That's the big difference between other gods and the God we worship. God put us before himself. The greatest gift we have is the Lord Jesus Christ and he put us before him. It's incredible. He had the greatest strength that anyone could possibly have. He had on call for himself tens of thousands of angels if he wanted them. And yet he humbled himself, willingly submitting himself to death on the cross motivated by his love for us the final one is self control this is a big one i to be quite open and honest with you I'm going to tell you about my my biggest enemy the guy I hate the most and I know pastors shouldn't speak like that but this guy he gets under my skin his name's Charlie Harrison no, don't laugh. He's, phew, he's a seriously bad guy. This stuff I tell him to do, he does the opposite. I, I, I want him to live for Jesus. I want him to follow Jesus every moment of every day. I want him to love his family in such a way that they just think he's the best dad. But do you think he'll do it? No. There are times he does the dumbest things. I mean, seriously done. This self-control is about choosing the important thing above the urgent thing. Choosing the important thing above the urgent thing. If you are a follower of Christ, what is the important thing? Following Christ. Doing all you can to continue to do that that comes above the urgent thing. There are so many things that press in and weigh upon us and demand our attention. What's important? Following Christ, doing all we can to continue to do that. And you know what's really amazing? If we do that, those urgent things become much easier to deal with. That's been my experience in life. And I'm like, gee, I'm dumb. Why didn't I put Christ first in all those other crises I had? Why was I running around like a headless chook trying to solve problems and finally come to the point where I better pray? Christ first. And then those things. Even the decisions you make will be done with Christ and the Lord and eternity in mind. And they become much better decisions. The urgent things, we deal with them with Christ in mind. I just want to ask you, just as you sit there, what has challenged and spoken to you this morning? That's Holy Spirit, just putting a thumb on you. And he's saying, hey, this is what you need to deal with. This is where we need to do work. I want you to ask why That is the thing that stood out the most. It could have been some flippant comment I made. Who knows? It could be something a lot deeper. Why is God putting his finger on that right now? And more importantly, what are you gonna do about it? How are you gonna respond to him? My desire is in the work that I do here, in the meetings I have with you, that you will be moved one step closer to Christ with each and every encounter I don't think I succeed, but that's what I want. And so I just encourage you, if you need prayer, if you need encouragement, if you need to deal with something, you're not going to get any judgment from the front. You're going to get someone who's going to get another light bulb moment. You're going to increase my joy. And I just love to encourage you in the faith. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for this message this morning. I thank you for how you spoke to me first and foremost. And I know you've spoken to people in this congregation, Lord. I just ask you, won't let them rest. That, Lord, this will be something that stirs in their hearts and their minds and challenges them to take steps in order to be closer to you. And if, Lord, that is for them to come forward and to pray or to ask their Christian brother and sister around them to pray for them, Lord, may they have the guts to do that. But, Lord, just in the quietness of our hearts now, will you just touch the lives of each and every Christian here, every believer in you, Lord? Will you be present with them this week? Will you just make your face shine upon them? Will you give them hearts and minds totally sold out for you where they want to know you more, they want to love you more, they want to just follow you more? And may they rejoice in how joyful that is for them. And how wonderful it is to be united with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless one and all. Thank you so much for being with us this morning.